Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. I guess the one gift that God didn't bless me with was the gift of height, but we're all good. We thank you, Lord, for five foot, what, six or seven, anyway. Talo falava and kia ora to you all this morning. It's such a privilege and an honour to be able to be here uh, to bring the Word of God. I wanted to make special mention of Pastor Mike and Pastor Liz. Uh, Liz, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. Also, um, Pastor Shane and your lovely wife, thank you for inviting me to be here tonight. These guys are incredible legends of the faith. And also to the front row here, Bob, Bruce, uh, you guys are incredible. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you all and we thank God for you guys who are incredible legends of the faith. Uh, But this morning, I'm bringing the fourth part of our sermon series, Beatitudes. Uh, We've already looked at what it means to be poor in spirit and thus be given the kingdom of heaven. Uh, We've already looked at what it means to mourn and be comforted. We've looked at what it means to be meek and therefore inherit the land, the earth. But today, we're going to unpack Beatitude number four. Uh, There are a few things that I want you to know about the Beatitudes. Firstly, the Beatitudes, they are a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven is a location that we're trying to get to. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere where the rule and reign of Jesus is manifested. In other words, the Beatitudes then is this new life that you and I enjoy. It's what we're supposed to look like when we've accepted the invitation of Jesus to enter into his kingdom. It's not eight steps. It's not an eight steps formula of how you get into the kingdom. Your way into the kingdom is through Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes is simply how we live now that we are part of the kingdom. Note then that the Beatitudes are written to every single person who calls themselves a disciple, a follower, a believer in Jesus. The Beatitudes, they are counterculture. Because of the fall of man, we aren't born into this world just naturally poor in spirit. We aren't born into this world immediately meek. We aren't born into this world just humble. The Bible says that by nature, we were born into this world children of wrath. Now, because of that, the Beatitudes are not normal. They go against our human tendencies and our human fleshly desires. So as we go through these Beatitudes, if you start to feel a little bit like, I'm not sure I live up to this description, or if you start to feel like, oh, I struggle with this Beatitude, that's awesome. You're in good company because nobody is perfect in walking out all of the Beatitudes. So take the pressure off. Come as you are but know that you are not going to stay as you are. Amen. The Beatitudes, they also go together. We can't handle the Beatitudes separate from one another. They must all go hand in hand. You can't say, I like this Beatitude, but I don't like that one. They they all feed into the other. And so when we reach... uh, When we read each of the individual Beatitudes, they must be read in light of all. The Beatitudes all go together. Finally, the Beatitudes, they're going to make you look so different to the rest of the world. The Beatitudes are going to make you look absolutely different to the rest of the world. The Beatitudes is the thing that is going to set the disciples apart from the multitudes. The Beatitudes is how you're going to tell the difference between those who cheer the message and those who hear the message. The Beatitudes are going to set you apart from the rest of the world because everything about the Beatitudes screams counterculture. A scholar of God's Word, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says it like this, the church is at her most attractive to the world when we are living the most distinct from the world. 
And it's true, this is what the Beatitudes is all about. It's about kingdom living that points people to the reality of a risen Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's look at our Beatitude this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I'm reading New King James Version. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. These these words that Jesus speaks were spoken to a people of a very particular context. The people that Jesus would have been speaking to uh, in biblical times would not have been strangers to what it meant to hunger and to thirst. Because this isn't just a casual hunger and a thirst. In our context today, when we hunger and, 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 and thirst, we, 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 when we hunger, we rush to the kitchen and we open the fridge, we open the pantry and we grab a snack. When we thirst, we walk on over to the tap, we fill it with a cup of water and we drink. But in the ancient world to whom Jesus is speaking, they knew hunger and thirst all too well. They would have had just enough to survive. Many families in biblical times would have only been able to eat meat once a week. Their wages would have been really low. That's if they had any wages, and it wouldn't have allowed for luxuries. Travel in biblical times meant having to go through some of the hottest deserts. People would have had to walk miles before they could get to some water. Thirst was a common companion to anyone traveling through the Palestinian heat. I can only imagine Imagine what it would have been like for the people in Bible times to really hunger and thirst. Nothing would have satisfied their hunger or their thirst. Not a beautiful sunrise could have done it. Not a beautiful sunset could have done it. Entertainment, rest, or even sitting under the shade of a palm tree. None of these things would have been able to do it. None of these things would have been able to fill the hunger and the thirst that the people at the time would have experienced. When you are desperately hungry and thirst, only food and water will do. And so it is against that backdrop that Jesus then speaks and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. As we unpack Beatitude number four, it's important for us to define a few key terms that are going to help us get a deeper understanding of what Jesus is really saying. The first terms I want to define this morning are hunger and thirst. In the Greek language, hunger and thirst are present participles. This means that the terms hunger and thirst aren't just a one-off action, they are continual. The hunger and the thirst is unending. Not only that, but the term hunger and thirst are used to refer only to partial objects. For example, I hunger and thirst for some coffee, partial. I hunger and thirst for some bread. I I hunger and, and thirst are used to refer to some coffee, to some bread, partial objects. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He uses an unqualified object instead of a partial object. And so it changes the entire meaning of what he's saying. For example, it's no longer, I I just want some coffee. No, I want all the coffee. It's no longer just, I want a slice of bread. No, I want the entire loaf. And to his audience of the day, they would have understood these terms to have meant to hunger and to thirst after righteousness would be the same desire as someone who has gone days without food, someone who has gone days without water. The hunger and the thirst that Jesus is talking about here is the picture of someone who is about to die unless you give them food or water. It's a hunger and thirst that doesn't want partiality. I don't want just a slice of bread. I don't want just some coffee. I don't want just one cup of water. It's the hunger and the desire that wants completeness. It wants wholeness. It doesn't want some. It doesn't want a little bit. It doesn't want a fraction or a portion. It wants it in its fullest. I want complete 
righteousness. And so not only does it want righteousness completely, it is also continual. It is a constant hunger and desire for righteousness. Why don't you nudge the person next to you and say, do you hunger and thirst? Yeah. The second term that I want to define this morning is the term righteousness. The word righteousness in the Greek language is a word that's so rich in meaning. And many scholars of the Bible have broken this particular word down into three different aspects, which I think are helpful for us to better grasp the magnitude um, and the meaning of this word righteousness. These three aspects are legal righteousness, moral righteousness, social righteousness. Legal righteousness is having right standing with God. God made, in the imi- made man in the image of God to be holy. However, all men have failed to be like God in word, thought, and deed. Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, because God is holy and righteous, we are under his wrath and deserve the wages of sin, death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it begs the question, How can one have right standing with God? And the answer is through Jesus. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a man and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. However, the world who loves sin and hates righteousness rejected Jesus, crucified him on the cross. Not only did Jesus suffer the scorn of man, but he also bore the wrath of God. Jesus, all righteous, took on the wrath of God so that he could offer us, the unrighteous, the gift of perfect righteousness. Romans 3, 21 to 22 says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. In other words, God has revealed to us a way to be in right standing with God. We no longer have to keep the requirements, the customs, the laws and the rituals like they used to in the Old Testament. We are simply made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of every single person. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are made right with God. Christ's righteousness becomes ours as we place our faith in him. That's what it means to have righteousness, have right standing with God. Secondly, moral righteousness. It is a righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God. Matthew chapter five, verse 20 says, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you think about this, You'd wonder, how could one exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes? I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees were famous for their righteousness. Obedience to God's law was the master passion of their lives. They calculated that the law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. They aspired to keeping all of the commandments. How could one exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes? This statement alone would have left the people at the time in complete shock. The truth is, you don't need to go far to find that Christian righteousness far exceeds Pharisaic righteousness in kind rather than in degree because this statement that Jesus is making has nothing to do with keeping 240 commandments or 365 prohibitions. 
I love how one scholar of the word puts it, John Stotts. Here's what he says. Christian righteousness is greater than Pharisaic righteousness because it is deeper. It's a righteousness of the heart. You see, the Pharisees were content with an external obedience, an external conformity to the letter of the law. But Jesus comes onto the scene and teaches that God's demands are far more radical than that. The righteousness which is pleasing to God is an inward righteousness of the heart, the mind, and the motive. Moral moral righteousness, therefore, is a righteousness of conduct and character that pleases God. Thirdly, social righteousness is a righteousness that seeks the welfare of a city. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Social righteousness is the seeking justice, the seeking freedom from oppression. It's the bringing integrity into the, into the fabric of human culture. God, who is himself a righteous God, desires righteousness in every community, not just Christian community. We see this all throughout the Bible. The prophets in the Old Testament denounced injustice, not just in Israel and Judah, but also in the surrounding nations. God desires for righteousness to abound everywhere. And so every single person who has been made right with God, every person who has placed their faith in Jesus, they are the instrument by which God chooses to display his righteousness in personal life, in the lives of family, in business, in schools, nationally or internationally. It's displayed in our seeking to free humanity from oppression through the gospel of peace. It's displayed in our seeking justice in law courts. It's displayed in our integrity in business dealings. It's displayed where, um, where there is honor in the home and, and family affairs. Therefore, social righteousness is seeking the welfare of the city. Now, if I was to put all of these three aspects together into one sentence, I would say that righteousness, therefore, means to be like Christ. Righteousness means that my entire life conforms to the image of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. My character and conduct screams Christ. My actions speak Christ. Righteousness is to be like Christ. So now that we've defined these terms, hunger, thirst, righteousness, what does it all actually mean? When you put all of this together, you come to realize that Jesus is saying, blessed is the person who continually hungers and thirsts for righteousness like someone who was about to die unless you give them food or water. Blessed is the person who has that kind of a desire to be made right with God. Blessed is the person who has that kind of a desire for right conduct and and character that pleases God. Blessed is the person who has that kind of a desire for the welfare of the city. I love how William Barclay puts it. He says, Oh, the bliss of the man who longs for total righteousness like a starving man longs for food and a man perishing of thirst longs for water. Let me ask you this morning, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? 
Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, not just in part, not just in one area of your life, but in every chamber of your heart, in every corner of your mind, in every aspect of your being? Do you hunger and thirst to be closer to God? Do you hunger and thirst to live like you've been made right with God? Do you hunger and thirst to see the righteousness of God spread to others around you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? I came to tell you today that to every single person who hungers and thirsts for total righteousness, like someone who is in great need of food or water, Jesus says, you shall be filled. Yeah, 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 that's the promise of Scripture, that you are going to be filled. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness is gonna be filled. Your hunger and thirst for character and conduct that pleases God, it's gonna be filled. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness to abound will be filled. And you may ask me today, how will my hunger and thirst for righteousness be filled? You need to know that there is one who is full of righteousness. There is one who is holy. There is one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The Savior, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Chief Shepherd, the Resurrection and the Life, the Prince of Peace who is able to fill your hunger and thirst for righteousness. He is the bread to, to the hungry. He is the living water to those who are thirsty. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the righteousness that we receive. Jesus is the righteousness that fills our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. He will fill you right now with righteousness. He will continue to fill you with righteousness in this life as you hunger and thirst for it. But oh, these are day coming where sin, brokenness, guilt, and shame will be no more and our hunger and our thirst for righteousness will be completely, totally, and gloriously filled when we see Jesus. Why don't you tap the person in front of you and say, it's Jesus, it's actually Jesus. <laughs> As I come to a close this morning, there are two groups of people that I wanna to encourage today. Firstly, perhaps, you're here this morning and you're saying, honestly, I'm not hungry or thirsty. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for years, but perhaps something has eroded your hunger and your thirst. Maybe you're saying, I used to have a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness, but not anymore. Righteousness is not the thing that I hunger and thirst for. I'm struggling to hunger and thirst for Jesus. I'm stuck. What am I supposed to do? Here's what you ought to do. Go back to beatitude Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. That's your starting place for hunger and thirst. And here's why. Nothing makes you more hungry and thirsty for righteousness than realizing that you've got none of it on your own. That you couldn't get righteousness by your own effort, that you couldn't get it from your job, you couldn't get it from your possessions, you couldn't get it from your relationships. Nothing makes you more hungry and thirsty for righteousness than realizing that you've got none of it on your own. About 22 years ago, my parents were called to plant a church in Manurewa. I was about 12 years old at the time. I get home from school one day and my dad has bought me this, my first musical instrument. It was a keyboard, it was a Yamaha PSR 290 and it was sitting in the lounge. And the truth is, I had no idea how to play this keyboard. 
We didn't really have YouTube or TikTok at the time. Back in the day, everything was dial-up. And so the only way to learn how to play was to go and get some tutoring. My parents couldn't afford piano lessons. And one of the only pianists that, we, um, that could have taught me was actually unavailable. So all my parents ever did was make me sit in front of the keyboards. They prayed, the keyboard prayed over my hands and then went away and left me to figure it out. <laughs> and I, I didn't know how to play keyboard, but all I had was this hunger and this thirst. I knew that I couldn't do it. There had to be something or someone outside of me that needed to be able to do this miracle or do this in me because, yeah, I couldn't do it. All I had was hunger and thirst. And so it started off with one, with one, little, with one little note. And then I stumbled on all these other notes until I figured out the tune of God, you're so good. And it was good. It was good for a few months. That was okay. But then when you get into church and your dad's like, your dad's a pastor and he's like, oh, we need some improvement. So then they come to the keys. I'm sitting there. They pray over my hands again and then they leave me to do it. I didn't know what I was doing. All I had was a hunger and a thirst. And it went from one note to two notes. So now we're... And that was okay for a couple of months. Keep doing that, leading worship. We need more. Okay. So they come over. They pray over my hands again. They leave me. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I had a hunger and a thirst. And so then this one note turned into two notes that then turned into a triad chord. And now it's... And that was okay for a little bit. A couple of years, stayed there in the triads for ages. And then my parents are like, we need more. Come over, pray over my hands. They leave. And I'm standing there still trying to figure out, I don't know how much more I could do. But I had a hunger and a thirst. And so one note turned into two notes, turned into a triad that then turned onto these chords that I don't really know what they're called, but... God did it. I had a hunger and a thirst and that was all I had. I didn't have tutoring. I didn't have musical training. All I had was a hunger and a thirst. All I had was a desire. All I had was this utmost conviction that I couldn't do this on my own. It was going to take something or someone outside of me to be able to fulfill this hunger and this thirst that I had to be able to play keys. Friend, let me tell you what fills my hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is the deep abiding knowledge that I don't have any of it in my own strength. And Jesus knows that and loves me anyway. Because the miracle of the gospel is that I was hopeless. I was destitute with nothing to offer God and nothing to bring to the table. And God knew and loved me and died for me anyway to fill me with the very thing that I was lacking. Righteousness. And so if I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord, if I'm struggling to hunger and thirst after righteousness, I simply need to go back and remind myself of beatitude number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
If I can ask the team to join me on stage. Thank you, Lord. If you're here today and you realize that you're far away from God, perhaps throughout this message, you've come to realize that there is an emptiness in you that longs to be filled. And if you were really honest, you'd say that nothing you've tried thus far has been able to fill it. I want to say to you that deep within the soul of man is a chasm that nothing in this world can fill. Fame couldn't fill it. Success couldn't fill it. Money couldn't fill it. Your spouse couldn't fill it. Your friends couldn't fill it. But I've got good news for you today. Jesus can fill it. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes me will never be thirsty. The truth is you need to know that the God who created this entire universe is the God who created you. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. He created you to know him, to come into loving fellowship with him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also the Bible says the consequence, the wages of that sin is death. But you see, it didn't end there because God in His grace sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that penalty for sin. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, Yes, I want Jesus to fill this, this void and this deep desire and longing that I have in my heart. I want to give my heart to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. But I need you to know, this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is only but an expression of you putting your hope and your faith in Jesus. And I also need you to know that right now, Jesus is extending to you His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. And so if that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to stand with me as I pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and I choose to invite you into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, why don't we put our hands together for everyone that's prayed that prayer this morning. I want to say congratulations and welcome home. God bless.